0: Hi, this is Co-Recursive and I'm Adam Gordon Bell. Each episode is the story of a piece of software being built. Picture this, I'm sitting at a desk. It's a big metal desk and it has drawers on the one side and it has to be big because my my CRT monitor is massive. Like, it's just huge, right? The, it, we forget sometimes how big these things were. And I'm in a room that's dark because the overhead lights aren't on. It's just the CRT monitors kind of lighting up the room. Across from me sits Derek, my my boss and, and mentor. And he has the same desk and the same giant CRT monitor. And he's, you know, glowing from the the light coming off the the giant screen of code. This was my first job when I finished university and I started working as a software developer and it was a big transition for me. I knew how to program. I thought I was pretty good at writing software. And I I think I was for my, for my level of experience, but I didn't know what it was like to work in an office. I didn't know what it was like to work as a professional software developer. I had so much to learn right? About just how work's done, what's important, how you work in a professional setting with others, you know, sharing code, like even like using source control, writing code that is legible for others. So, so many things that I had to learn during this time. And the way I learned it actually wasn't necessarily through, through Derek and that job as much as through these online blogs, these RSS feeds that I subscribed to and read during the day. These were the blogs of people like Jeff Atwood and Martin Fowler and and Eric Sink and Paul Graham and Joel Spolsky and, and so many others that they filled up my blog lines reader. And from them, I learned what it was like to be a software developer. I learned what the expectations were, what was reasonable, what wasn't reasonable. And I felt connected to this greater story of being a software developer of this profession where you get to build things and it's fun and it's great. It was very impactful on my career. Today's the story about someone who is not just inspired by these voices, but someone who got the chance to work shoulder to shoulder with them, helping to build one of the most iconic platforms for developers, Stack Overflow. Today we meet Ben, Dunkey Vondery, one of the early developers on the Stack Overflow team. He was there on the front lines as the platform transformed how programmers worked. And he embodies the this, this spirit, right, of Stack Overflow and its transparency and its playfulness, and even later on, like some of its struggles to be as welcoming and friendly uh, as it should be. But you, you'll see what I mean. So stick around as Ben takes us on a journey through the creation of Stack Overflow. Get ready for a candid inside look at the birth of the website that would go on to become an essential part of the developer community and the internet, really, as we know it. And it all starts in Berlin, where Ben worked for a PR company. I started following
1: the blogs of both Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky two pretty prolific
0: bloggers in the programming product development space. The one thing that Jeff and Joel and the whole programming world seemed upset with at the time was Experts Exchange. Experts Exchange was a question and answer programming website. I'm hazy on the details,
1: but I think they got sold. And then the new owner like did a whole switcheroo on the community and put, put a paywall in front of everything. And then suddenly, you know, pe- people didn't even have access to, to the content they themselves had been, had been writing, right? You had to find the, uh, the link to the, the question that you wanted to go to, but then not go there directly. But Google the link and then click Google, because if you came from Google.com as the referrer, then it would, like at the very bottom of the page, show the actual answers,
0: So Jeff and Joel had this idea that they could replace Experts Exchange with something new, and they could do it in a way that would prevent this from ever happening again. They could use the Creative Commons, they could use data dumps to give access to all the user-generated content.
1: But the idea was that if Stack Overflow ever became evil and did the whole paywall thing, right, which was something that the community was definitely mistrusting about in the early days because they had just seen it happen, They could just take that data dump and somebody else could, you know, put up a new Stack Overflow 2 and and start from there, right, and not lose any any of the content. So publishing the data dump was a sort of an assurance and insurance for the community that Stack Overflow is not going to do this thing. Ben was in Berlin following along. Joel was in New York, and Jeff was on the West Coast, so it's not like they shared an office. So they actually talked on Skype a lot. I don't know if anybody remembers Skype. But they had, like, a weekly call where they discussed where they were and what they were planning, what their ideas were. And they actually just started recording these calls and put those up as as a podcast. So that's how the original Stack Overflow podcast started. Just by Jeff Edward and Joel Spolsky chatting about their plans with regards to Stack Overflow. And you know, even the name, even the name Stack Overflow came out of one of the blogs, right? Jeff Edward posted a a poll on his blog. You know, he has we want to do this programming question and answer site. Help us choose a name. And there were a bunch of choices, including I think corecursion.com was one of one of the options. So the, there's there's a connection here.
0: But yeah, Segoverflow.com won by a long shot. For Ben, besides reading their blog posts, these Skype calls became his window into their world. So I um, I never had an iPod, uh, but I did have an MP3
1: player, just 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 the smaller one, something like 256 megabytes or something like that, that I would put random stuff on and mostly podcasts. So the Segoverflow podcast was one of them. There was a podcast called The Linux Outlaws that I really enjoyed. So just two random Linux guys talking about stuff. And I would listen to that whenever I had time, honestly. Like sometimes just when I was riding my bike to work or just, you know, lying in bed, trying to fall asleep. Or initially it was like that. I think the Sega Also podcast in particular, I... I at, at at some point started actually waiting for the next episode, right? And then, you know, as soon as it dropped, you know, if, if there was nothing super important going on, I would actually go to listen to that. Right? Because, you know, I wanted to know how the how the story continues.
0: And the story did continue. The plan for stock overflow played out in Ben's headphones, episode by episode. Week by week, episode by episode.
1: I'm I'm not sure I even knew they looked like, to be honest, I I basically knew their voices. This was out there somewhere else, right? I was here in Berlin, Germany, and they were like over there in the US and like in in this whole startup and tech company kind of scene, which was super foreign to me. So that it was a totally different world. And, you know, I was just kind of appreciative of, you know, being able to listen in on some of that so so this this idea of of being very public about everything i i i always enjoyed and you know kind of also as being a hobby programmer i I was kind of interested in getting a little bit behind the behind the scenes idea of you know what does it look like to develop a an important website right not just a toy project that i don't know builds Pretty PDF reports or something like that. But to hear about all the considerations that went into actually building a product, right? In this particular case, a product that involves a lot of community management questions. They were quoting uh, a book called uh, Here Comes Everybody by Clay Shirky, religiously at the time, which was like the Bible for, for community management, product y things if i'm honest i've never actually read it but they they were quoting it a lot i was kind of impressed you know like all these all this time they had to, had spent thinking about all of these details right where i you know if if, if i write a little tool, a little program or something like that i just do it and then it's done and then i move on and also kind of started creating this this image in my head where you know these these are basically the gods of programming in, in a way, right? They, they are the authorities in terms of software development that, that are out there, right?
0: These authorities, what they envisioned was something like Wikipedia plus Reddit, right? It would have a gamified point system like Reddit, where people would upvote and downvote people and get points. And like Wikipedia, it would have editors that curated things and cleaned things up so that people would find it in Google, just like they do Wikipedia results. And then one day, it appeared.
1: Basically, immediately as soon as Stack Overflow launched its public beta, if you googled a programming problem, you ended up on Stack Overflow. Like that—that that was a thing that happened almost overnight. Just a testament to the huge following
0: that the the two had. Ben used Stack Overflow right away, but he didn't create an account for a while. I, I'm just this hobbyist dude here
1: who's, who knows nothing, right? And and all the people on saying, oh, so are professional programmers that get paid for this thing. So again, I'm not even in the same ballpark as them. That, that's what was in my mind. But then I saw, you know, there were people who had questions that I could answer, right? At that time, Python was my, my main programming language. So a lot of my early answers are from are about Python. And so, yeah, just started, you know, joining the community, if you will.
0: Ben and other users had questions about the QA format itself. What do we do about questions like this?
1: Should they be allowed? Those kinds of discussions. And these discussions initially happened on Stack Overflow directly, which is something that always annoyed Jeff, right? Because like Stack Overflow was supposed to be about programming, not about Stack Overflow. Um, So those, those kinds of questions were shut down.
0: But if you want a community moderated Q&A site, the community needs a place to talk and gather and ask questions and and plan how it's going to handle things.
1: And that is how Meta Stack Overflow was born, which was, you know, the same Q&A engine, you know, so there was a question and then there were answers that powered Stack Overflow, except there was a separate site and that was made for these kinds of Meta quests, right? You could ask a support question Like, hey, I got an upvote here, but I didn't get any reputation for for that. Why didn't I get any points? And then somebody else could reply, well, you've already hit the reputation cap of 200 for the day, right? And so the question
0: and answer format worked for that. And Ben had this history of listening to Jeff and Joel design the site. And so this community spoke to him. And so he started hanging out there.
1: So if, if somebody new comes in with a support question, doesn't understand how something work, I I would answer. You know, if if there's something that like a bug that I notice or or something that I want to complain about because it doesn't look good, it doesn't work right, whatever, you know, I, I would post post a question. And the the meta community at the time was a pretty tight knit group of like like especially the regulars, right? The those that were there all the time with. With our very own sense of humor, it was very geeky kind of humor, a little bit of compensation for, you know, also having to play support agent for, for everything, right?
0: On Meta, joke questions would be posted on Friday and tagged It's Always Friday in Iceland. One joke involved tilde's. you know, the squiggly line that resemb- represents home on Unix systems.
1: Originally, you were allowed to have a tile like the little squiggly thing in your username, and at some point that was disallowed. They they just narrowed the character sets for display names, and then I posted a always Friday and As- Iceland question. I, I wrote it like a like a funeral funeral announcement. Right, dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to commemorate the. The, the tile that our friend has lost on this day uh, with the ASCII code of 126. It's the last, it was the last of the printable characters. So in order to commemorate, like write a post here that, that makes us remember this, this, this character that we lost today.
0: So the various meta users jumped in with poems and tributes. Here's one I like. O tilde, O oh squiggle, O oh symbolic knot, you who approximate the string before the knot, you aren't alphanumeric enough for stock overflow, but I'll see you again at Dollar Sign Home. So like, completely crazy, but that's the kind of fun that we had.
1: It was just something that I was part of, right? It was still a support community, right? And, you know, when, when we helped people out and answered questions, we were still there to help. We complained about a lot of things. Uh, it was still out of you know caring for the site, right? Because we felt Stack Overflow was us, and so it was not just about you know the the joking and and, and the fun part, but also the the caring about this thing, this project called Stack Overflow that we were we were being being part of, and yeah. so so it was definitely a sense of belonging that 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 I enjoyed, and then someday. I don't know if that was a always Friday in Iceland or if it was a real request but somebody explained complained on meta that these these identicons which were just made of like triangles and squares and you know in a very symmetric way that
0: they are pretty boring this person was talking about gravatar avatars that showed next to your username if you never set up a user profile picture gravatar
1: has a couple of options too instead of show identicons you could all so these geometric things they also had an option to show like little hand-drawn monsters put together like in a similar way right automatically and based on the number
0: but uh, a little less boring than than these geometric shapes of course someone jumped in and said stack overflow needs their own avatar generator and it should be unicorn-based.
1: And I took that as inspiration and did exactly that. So I created a unicorn generator that, that creates unicorn images, random unicorn images, but based on a seed, which would be like that hexadecimal number that that could be used as a drop-in replacement for, for Gravatar. Right? The, the, the way Gravatar works, you could actually like tell Gravatar, if the user doesn't have a Gravatar, then show this other image instead. So it it would literally work as a drop-in replacement there. And and like people went nuts. They loved it. Like I got responses from the developers working on Stigolfo who thought it was so cool. Then Ben got an email from Jeff Atwood. It's like almost like, you know, getting an email from George Clooney out of the blue, right? Wow, he's talking to me. Uh, and and he said, hey, we, we really enjoyed your, your unicorn thing. And we'd love to use that on April 1st to replace all the users' avatars on Stack Overflow with unicorn images. And just wanted to make sure that, you know, your your service could handle that, that traffic. And I, I was like, well, th- this is so cool. You know, I, I wrote this thing and, and Stack Overflow wants to use it. Obviously, I wouldn't have been able to handle the traffic. Like the thing I wrote was running on, on the Google App Engine on the free tier. So no no way that would have handled Stack Overflow levels of traffic. So I told Jeff, hey, that's so cool and would, would love to. But, you know, like, th- this is on the free App Engine tier and we'd have to move that to paid. But at least at the time you could only go- pay Google via credit card and I didn't have a credit card and, and whatnot. And and then Jeff said, oh, not a problem. Just invite me to the account. I'll, I'll put the company credit card in it. Right. And so, bam, that happened. And suddenly Stack Overflow's company credit card was attached to my Google account, which was like next level cool. Th- there was like a month to go for until, until April 1st.
0: Stack Overflow sees a massive amount of traffic, 200 million visits a month. And a page with 10 answers on it might have 20 people. And that could be 20 avatars. So it's a lot of requests.
1: And so I I made sure of a couple of things to make sure that caching worked right, right? Because I'd be serving a ton of images and you want to make sure that they actually cached in the browser. So... Uh... I had no idea. Again, I was like this hobbyist dude that sometimes wrote little command line tools. I'd never written a top, I don't know how much website service. I I couldn't even conceive of like what amounts of traffic I, I would be seeing. And I actually asked Jeff, you know, what kinds of traffic would I be expecting, right? How many How many avatars should I expect to serve and that kind of thing? You you also want to make sure that people don't have to re-download the same thing over and over again, right? So you want to have your HTTP caching headers correctly to tell the browser you can, you don't have to re-request this. This image is never going to change because it's auto-generated based on the URL. Then on April 1st, the switch was made. So suddenly everybody's uh, avatars were my little unicorns, which was just all kinds of amazing. And you know, all my fans on Meta like applauded me. This is so amazing that that you know, that they were there. Obviously, that's also the haters, right? The people that say, oh, I just thought Stegoflo was hacked because my avatar was replaced." Well, you're, you're always going to have that, but but it was fun and 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 I loved it. After April First was over, you know, I kind of posted a. Thank you, post to to Meta again, saying, "Hey, everybody! I I loved how enthusiastic you were about this and and all of that." And I actually posted a, a a graph of the traffic, right? So like I had usually like like two or three requests every ten seconds, something like that, and then you know. But in the analytics graph from Google App Engine, you then could then suddenly see this thing go from zero to 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 internet level traffic and, and, and then at the end of the day when when they switched it off again I go fizzle back to zero and it was kind of like looked like a mountain range so so I put a couple of unicorns in there that that walked over the mountains and it was it was kinda kinda amazing day. And yeah that's, that's that's that was my first interaction with with Jeff.
0: Ben had just shown that he could build and operate a service at the scale of Stack overflow but he didn't see it that way. He was still working at a PR agency and he just considered himself a hobbyist programmer.
1: And then April 29th, I was again, you know, sitting in the in the agency doing my thing. And I also had my, my personal email open and I suddenly got an email from Jeff Edward again, which was still a little bit special, even if it wasn't the first time again. But it said, you know, who should work for Stack Overflow? That that was the subject line. And, and then the body of the message said, you should. Uh, and that was basically it. And that was kind of like this jaw-dropping thing, because like from from that moment on, it, it was this, okay, like maybe this thing that I, this, this skill that I have is actually marketable kind of moment, right? Obviously, I told my boss who was sitting right across and said, like, we, we weren't, very good terms. And so I, I basically told her immediately and said, you know, there's this job offer that's coming out of the blue and I'm probably going to take it. And, you know, when I went home, I, I told my then girlfriend and now wife and, you know, I guess also told my told my parents next time I, I was on
0: the phone with them. His family had trouble understanding even what this new job was going to be. This
1: whole idea that, that you would work
0: for a company
1: in America, that does not have like a, a subsidiary here or any anything of that sort. You just work with other people across the globe. were like in 2010 was that that wasn't a common thing, right? So I don't I don't think that I had fully grasped all of that yet. So you know, it was even harder for the rest of them. And obviously, as I started to explain what I was doing there to more and more people, there were definitely those, you know, I, I said something about programmer questions and answers, and and there are people that to this day, like like in my family, uh, to this day believe that I like answer questions on the internet for 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 my job or something like that, you know, like no, I'm actually building the website, I'm not answering the questions. Like th- this concept is, is is pretty hard to get across to somebody who is not like that technically inclined, and so I, I basically said yes immediately. That's that that's that's how quick every, everything went. You know, I had a had a had a Skype call with Jeff Edward, and and then you know. He ordered a computer from me from Dell, but because that would take like a week or two, he ordered another computer me, for me from Lenovo, just so I would have something. And then he, he, he ordered a 30-inch monitor to my house. And, and suddenly, I had this Herman Miller chair worth $1,000 show up
0: at my house that the company sent in. The thing is, Jeff Atwood was a developer who championed the notion that developers should have the best tools money could buy specifically lots of large monitors. And Joel Spolsky, right, he was building software companies specifically with the idea of building great places for developers to work. So the perks were good. I I don't want to say it went over my head, but it was
1: so amazingly cool that that all of these things just happened out of nowhere. The amount of stuff that was going on, and there was no, like, waiting and, you know, let's onboard you, and uh, no, like, I was employee number depending on how you count anywhere between 7 and 11 at a startup, right? Things go fast. And, and I was there in, in Germany as the only German working at the company, right?
0: Behind the scenes, what had just happened was that Stack Overflow had just raised its Series A round. It's VC money, so a community member who had already proven that he could work at their scale was the top of Jeff's to-be-hired list. But for Ben, this was a lot to take in all at once
1: new programming language, new tools, new way of doing things, completely different scale of thinking about programming. All of this just came running at me. And I just wrote it, right? I I was having a lot of fun. like It it never felt overwhelming. I I was just enjoying it. I I really enjoyed it. Took everything in. Within a couple of days of, of me working there, you know, Jeff Jeff said to me, hey, there's this Microsoft conference thingy going on in, in Munich. Do you want to go?
0: And I was like, sure. Expensing trips to conferences felt strange. But this was Stack Overflow, and Ben had put them on a pedestal in his mind. I
1: had this notion in my head that, you know, there's the kind of code that I write as a hobbyist for like little fun side things, you know, like weekend projects and those kind of things. But this is Stack Overflow, right? This is, this is, like, even in 2010, this is this big thing, like the, the, these amazing programmers that are internet famous. And so, like, the, the, my expectation of, of what professional code looks like was this, like, like this, this must look like, you know, God
0: himself wrote this code and kind of, right? But, of course, the code was just normal, all right code, right? Not amazing code. Jeff Atwood is just a normal human being And this is a startup and things are moving quickly. It was,
1: I don't know, disappointment, revelation, something in between. But yeah, I I still remember that, that that there was a disconnect there that that between my imagination of what professional code looks like and, and the reality.
0: The first project Ben worked on was with another new hire. And it was the Stack Overflow chat.
1: So you know, there's Stack Overflow for the actual Q and A. There's Meta for discussion about Stack Overflow. And then he had come to the conclusion that that you also need a third place, more like more relaxed hangout that is not like work. And so yeah. he wanted a web chat on on the side, which was not like this. This was pre Slack days, right? So this 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 was not a very common thing to do.
0: You have to remember that Ben had never worked as a software developer before, and now he was working with one other person on on kind of a big project. I was
1: suddenly working on something pretty public, and I remember seeing a tweet from—I don't remember who it was, but but one fairly well-known person in the tech developer sphere— and it, he said some, some, something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing, not quoting, but like, oh my God, Stack Overflow is using AJAX polling to to do a web chat. That's never going to scale. But Ben had thought this through. Like we had made a very deliberate decision to start with AJAX polling because that was actually fairly simple to do. WebSockets weren't really, like they did exist in an early version of the standard, but it wasn't really stable, so uh, this decision that we made was really good, and it uh, it worked super well. And we eventually, once the the WebSocket standard had stabilized, we added WebSocket support, but we kept the we kept the AJAX polling functionality in as a fallback whenever you know something something breaks. But uh, I'm still kind of proud that, that that decision, which was laughed at by, by industry veterans, was a good decision and, and, and was a pragmatic decision. Did not have, you know, architectural beauty or, or any of that sort. But it worked, and it worked amazingly well. And yeah, that, that, was, that, that was my first project.
0: After that project, Ben started working on the main QA engine, where he worked for years. It was a great and prestigious place to work. The developers got lots of respect.
1: Initial StagAlpha was a, like today you would say engineering driven. I don't don't think that was a word back then, but, you know, Jeff Atwood engineer himself, right? But also Joel Spolsky, founder of Far Creek, that was explicitly founded to provide a place where programmers love to work, right? So... We were pampered, right? The, 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 the engineers at Stack Overflow were really put
0: on a pedestal, and, which felt great, right? Stack Overflow was a very early remote-first organization. Most communication was just async text chats. That can be hard. And so it had a yearly meetup to make sure everybody could meet face-to-face. They could meet each other in person. But it was at one of those meetups that Ben started to notice what it might mean to be put on a pedestal. Uh, th- this was a meetup but uh,
1: i think it was denver 2014 I'm, I'm not sure it doesn't matter we were standing outside an arcade like the the evening outing was like a lot of pinball fun and air hockey and i don't know what and uh one of our community managers was 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 standing outside and we got to talking and he said to me you know i was actually kind of surprised you're a really nice guy okay and, and you can see where, like, it's it's a compliment, right? But there's something behind that, right? And, and you know, there's there's obviously the thing that, you know, chat, text chat can be pretty curt. You know, if somebody asks a question and you just answer no, because that is the correct answer to this question, right? But literally these two letters in text chat, there's a lot of things that you can or may imply there. So... So there's that, and then there is this general reputation that engineers just had being loud and opinionated, and honestly not always reasonable. So so that's that's kind of like a defining moment where I realized you know maybe maybe something isn't right here, and hearing that made me like, I think was a little bit of a start in realizing that, you know, like maybe, maybe I've been a little bit of an idiot in a, in a couple of situations.
0: Ben started to think maybe this idea of an engineering first organization is a problem. Did I
1: mention about like that laptop and this laptop and the 30 inch monitor? And by the way, like a couple of weeks later, the second 30 inch monitor came and that share and, and all of that. And you know, if you had an opinion, then then everybody kind of had to listen, and because you're the engineer who builds the product, so everybody you know had had to take take technical considerations in as as the primary priority. On the other hand, you know, if you were a salesperson back then. You got your second monitor as as a reward for making it through one year at Stack Overflow. And if you were a marketing person, um, you kind of had to brace yourself every time you put out a proposal, a suggestion, a document somewhere, because you just knew that the Google Docs comments were going to overflow with developer opinions um, within a couple of minutes. And, you know, more than once, maybe you forgot that, you know, like everybody here is also doing their job. And so so for a while, you actually kind of relish it in a way, but, but over the years, it becomes clearer and clearer that that's that it's a
0: problem. And by the way, this is not a Stack Overflow-specific problem. But what's unique about this situation is that Ben recognized it, and he reflected on it, and on himself, and thought about ways that he could do better.
1: And realizing, you know, like, you could be writing all all the amazing code that you want. If you don't have salespeople that sell your stuff, then it's, it's, it's not worth anything.
0: But on reflection, some of the things that had seemed problematic were also the things that made them succeed in the early days.
1: It's tricky because, you know, like, especially in a young startup, right, where you're, you're, you're a small, tight-knit group of people, like you're, you're hiring your first... Couple of product engineers. You want people who are passionate about the thing that they're building. There, you want people who you know pour their heart into it to a certain extent. Just just wanting to do your job and be paid for it is is fine at a later stage, right? Where you just need people to do the thing that they need to do. But uh, the, the the very first people in a startup, you you just need them them to be excited to to get this thing out there. That means you're literally selecting for the people that are going to attach themselves to to whatever it is you're building, right? Be it a QA and a site or else. So, so, at the beginning, you actually want that. And, you know, Stack Overflow has this... Unique almost thing in the in the tech industry that engineering tenure has been extremely long, right? You know, I've been there for nine years. That was nothing special. A lot of people there had have stayed for a long, very long time in, in an industry where where a rec- recruiter doesn't blink twice if they see that you've only stayed for a year at your last three companies having 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 a lot of engineers with ten years off of nine years ten years is is a pretty big deal, and it shows that that you're a great place to work, presumably, right? but on the other hand, it also leads to a lot of we've always done it this way kind of way of thinking it it creates a situation where it's very hard for new people that come in to to bring in fresh ideas right since the devs had such a long
0: tenure. The new people were often in other departments,
1: so you had a lot of uh, a lot of old timers right? like myself, and you know, add tenure to to opinionated, and you got somebody who's going to steamroll you if you're a n- new marketing person that just tries to do their job, right? And it it creates this this very unhealthy dynamic in in the company where even if there are no assholes, people are just careful and and by default assume that they're going to get an asshole response because um, engineers being very direct and curt and opinionated is, you know, whatever you put out there, you're going to hear about those opinions.
0: It's an interesting case of unintended consequences because a great place to work should really be great for everyone. But sometimes egos can just get in the way.
1: Uh, There was this one thing the 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 name of the team uh, that worked on the actual q a engine right so the quote-unquote real seg also obviously we also had other engineers right who worked on like internal things or on the 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 talent product and 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 that kind of thing right so but but the team that was working on the q a engine was originally called the core team right it was the core Stegolfo team and I was on that team right and and uh, and one day our manager came came into chat and said you know we're we're thinking about renaming the core team to Q&A team because it kind of like it it has this favoritism thing right that 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 it kind of implies in a way and I went I I don't want to say I went apeshit. Not that bad, but you know I I was like all up in arms and, and and saying something like you know like are you accusing us of elitism because we are not elitist and you know like we we, we respect everybody yada yada, and you know like a couple of years later when I then read that back I I so wanted to smack my past past self over the head because it made zero sense. It it wasn't about us, right? It wasn't about us that were being perceived as elitist or not. It was about the fact that everybody else was feeling second class, uh, right? Because that's the core team, like, and 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 we're just the rest, right? That was about them and not us. And I think this this whole journey of you know realizing there's There's a lot of not me at the company that are you know trying to do their job as as well as I am. I think that journey kind of began with with that encounter in front of the arcade, uh, which made me just um you know, think maybe one or two times more before um leaving my opinion somewhere or how I phrase that opinion and just. Assuming the best—not just the best of intentions, but also the
0: best of the best of ability and skills—in in everybody. So Ben tried to teach himself to assume that others had good intentions, to tell himself that everything didn't always have to be a battle.
1: You know, the 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 more the the more I realized these things, the more it also became obvious. You know, the the effect that this had just had on on the culture over the years right that it was you know again it, it, it wasn't a, a anything about hate or stuff like that but just tension
0: so ben tried to teach himself to assume that others had good intentions to tell himself that everything didn't always have to be a battle
1: as a PM, you talk to a lot of stakeholders, and um, that also then allows you to, you know, explain to your engineers the viewpoints of, of other people and, and and getting that across.
0: And he also gave a talk about some of the things he had learned about communication and about assuming the best of other parties.
1: It, it was a public talk, but you know, I, I did kind of hope that a couple of other people were seeing it, but I didn't didn't. Also, I, I didn't want to evangelize anything because I don't know that I'm right about anything, right? Who, who am I to to know what exactly needs to be done to fix a certain piece of culture or anything like that? So what I usually try to do is, you know, just live the, the way I think it should be lived and then, you know, may, maybe also point that out once in a while, and, and then hope that, you know, if, if people consider that a good example, that, that they're going to follow it, right?
0: Here's the thing. Besides working at the PR place straight out of university, Ben had never worked anywhere besides Stack Overflow. So maybe some of the tension he was seeing and the time he was spending reflecting on things was just because he was getting ready to leave. Because also, there was the whole tech stack question.
1: I was also acutely aware that there were a lot of things happening in tech that I was never going to see or learn at Stack Overflow, right? By, by 2019, Stack Overflow was a legacy code base, if you will, right? There, There's definitely things that are not the most modern way of doing things. Um, there was not really a, an opportunity to do any sort of significant work with something like React, for example, or to to learn how do, does a different tech stack work, maybe cloud hosted instead of on-prem, you know, like all, all, all kinds of things that I felt like maybe I should venture out a little bit and see a little bit more, you know, it was very hard to say goodbye. And, you know, after nine years, lots of friends and everything, but I, I just felt I, I needed to spread my wings a little bit, if you would excuse the metaphor. Joined another startup called Alloy. They just rebranded to alloy.ai. They are a, they're, they're, they're an enterprise product, right? It's a supply chain analytics dashboarding platform, like the kind of thing that probably a couple hundred people in the world find exciting. But it was to use. I mean, right? it, was, it was a cool product to work on. And, and Super useful product for, you know, people who manage supply chains or consumer goods, right? Like a very different kind of product, right? I came out of Stack Allflow working like directly with like millions and millions and millions of, of, of users who use your free product every day to to a product that's used by a couple hundred people because their companies pay a lot of money for access to this
0: product. A right? M- much different kind of thing. Sometimes, going somewhere else really teaches you a lot about where you came from. Suddenly
1: having the distance and also the experience of of a company where where this has never happened, or at least not to this extent, it was was a pretty stark contrast. When I joined that company, uh, was small enough that the CEO, who by the way was also called Joel still like interviewed all uh, all the candidates so he also interviewed me and when we were chatting he said you know i'm i don't want alloy to be a engineering driven organization i don't want it to be a design driven organization i don't want it to be a sales driven organization or any of these buzzwords everybody who is here has a reason for being here right and there's no like these are the important people and that's the rest you know, as much as it's a cliche, it was very much a, we're all in this together, all in the same boat kind of way of working together. And that was not just lip service, that that was actually lived. Like at, at Alloy, it really felt like no matter whether you're in sales or customer success or engineering or any of the sort, like everybody knew that, you know, everybody else was also important. This only reinforced Ben's thinking on culture. it showed me you know even more that you know it made me rethink you know like a couple of years back this one Google doc comment, maybe I should have phrased that a little bit differently or those kinds of things right and that's just the kind of the kind of realization you get when when you when you have the distance and when you see how things are elsewhere right and and when you realize that not everything is the same everywhere.
0: So Ben enjoyed his time at Alloy, and he got to work on a different tech stack and do some different things. And then he worked at another startup, a video conferencing place. But through this whole time, he kept in touch with his former boss at Stack Overflow. And also, he had this sort of unique window into what was going on internally at Stack Overflow.
1: Back when I was initially at Stack Overflow, I created a Twitter account called Stack Overheards, kind of inspired by the New York Times Without Context account that, that just posted random quotes from the also company chat. Totally out of context. Like, you know, just sometimes just something that is like, what? And sometimes that, you know, maybe a little funny, zero context, obviously anonymous and and never anything that's that, that could reflect badly on anybody or anything like that. Right? It was just a bit of fun. And, uh, you know, I created this Twitter account and whenever I, you know, saw something in chat where I thought, hey, that's that's a good one. And so uh Stack like overheard's Twitter account continues to be fed with random out of context quotes from the chat to this day. And of course, I was still following that. Right. And so like early last year, when I was starting to think about options, I saw a random message on that on that Twitter account, I'm not sure what message it was exactly anymore. And it also wasn't so much about the context, the content of the message. But when you've worked there for so long, oftentimes you can't actually tell who said that, right? You can kind of tell that, you know, all the old, like the, the good vibes, you know, that, 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 that used to be there are still there.
0: The thing was, now having worked at two other places, he could see the good things that he missed from Stack Overflow he could miss all the great things about being there. And most importantly, he could see through that tiny window of Twitter that the good parts were still there because a lot had changed since he left. I'd left in early 2019,
1: basically in the same week that Joel Spolsky left. So like there was a new CEO and like completely new leadership team. And in uh, 2021, uh, Stegolfo was acquired. Right? So suddenly it's this is not a startup anymore. Like this is now part of of a bigger company. A lot of things have changed. And I was aware of all of these things, right? But when I saw this this one random message on this Dega like, Overheard's oh Twitter account, it just felt like, you know, like the, the old spirits are still there in a way, right? And uh, you know, even though the company is probably a little bit, little bit more bureaucratic and corporate and that kind of thing now there's still the same vibe that, that, I'm, that I'm feeling through these anonymous Twitter messages. And so Ben made another company switch. And now I'm here for my, for my second stint. And uh, every time I talk to somebody new, I have to explain that, well, I'm kind of not, not even a year,
0: but also I'm the oldest remaining employee. And so Ben is back, but he's a little bit of a different person now. There's just
1: this connection to the, the history of the whole thing. And the fact that I had these three years of a break in between there has also allowed me to, to have a bit of distance right, and detachment. And then Stack Overflow had
0: another offsite.
1: Oh, we were in Chicago, and we had a bunch of a bunch of conference rooms in in, in the hotel, and there, there, we had like I, don't, I, don't, I think six tracks. People could propose random topics. Uh, like this, this was just just the engineering part of the the larger engineering part of the organization. It, it was just unstructured talk about what you want. And so I just you know had had this idea for this clickbaity why you should quit Stack Overflow and. And so there were just like, I don't know, 15, 20 engineers just sitting in that conference room and a couple of tables. And I was standing there and just basically telling a short version of the story I'm telling here with a little bit more insight perspective, right? And uh, and this whole attachment, detachment kind of thing. This was nothing prepared, but I, I chatted a little bit about, you know, kind of the same same story and also how, you know, with all that history... Uh, especially as a product engineer, right who actually builds the thing, it's very easy to to get attached and 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 to feel like you have to protect your quote unquote baby from from whatever it is that you need to protect it from you know it's at some point it can you know either you know end up burning you out or if not that then you're just being stubborn and uh, over-opinionated on on everything, and nobody wants to talk to you anymore because you are still, you know, having all of those opinions that stopped being relevant ten years ago. And it's very easy to to get into this attachment when you've been there for a long time. And what what the the three years of break of distance really helped me do is detach. You know, yes, I was part of building these things from not not exactly the ground up, but very close to it. So, yes, I did have some attachment to it and some, you know, opinions on why things should be done a certain way. And, you know, just just having that distance allows me to uh, be a little bit more relaxed about it, right? And and not take everything like too serious you know, and 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 realize that you know it, it's it's this is not my own
0: battle to fight. Ben's talk got some strange looks at first. After all, it was called "Why You Should Quit Stack Overflow," but they got what he was saying in the end. Right. So I ended
1: up telling people you don't actually have to quit. Uh, just just remember, you know, to to find that distance for you, right? To um, that doesn't mean you can't be passionate about the thing you're doing, but but always remember that this is this is not a like uh, a lonely fight that you're fighting here against you know and anybody who who disagrees with you and it's not hanging like all on you and it's also not expected of you to know everything and do everything so you know just just take the fact that you you have a job that is kind of cool on a project that is kind of cool with with a lot of cool people and and Enjoy
0: the ride. So things have come full circle.
1: Just coming back and, and uh, you know, after three years and, and it all coming back to me, right? Opening Visual Studio, open this code. I Actually, you know, while I was away from, from Stack Overflow, I made the switch from IDEs in light mode to dark mode. And then when I set up my machine back at Stack Overflow, I, I opened Visual Studio and configured it to use dark mode. And then I opened the Stack Overflow solution and looked at the code and I could not find my way around. I cannot get myself to look at the Stack Overflow code base in dark mode. It, it, it messes with my brain because there's so many years of just, just visually, right? There's a visual connection to the code. But other than that, you know, like it's still amazing people here. The, the, the company for the, for the most part is great, it tries to do things right. I'm still happy that I left, but I'm also still happy that I came back.
0: That was the episode. Thank you so much, Ben, who goes by B-Alpha Online for your candor. You can find him online at balpha.de. Culture is not a static thing. And the thing I learned from Ben was that your personal actions contribute to and help shape the organization you work at regardless of the size. And so if you see a problem, maybe you can help nudge things in a more positive direction through your own actions. Be like Ben and just be an example of the change you want to see. Also, Stack Overflow is amazing. The the company that started as an exercise in transparency and community and using the creative commons and putting everything out there, it's still open and willing to talk about their internal struggles. Which, by the way, are in no way unique to Stack Overflow. A thing we didn't get to cover is Ben, for years after the Unicorn Gravatar thing, was behind the various April Fool's projects at Stack Overflow. If you want to hear my take on Stack Overflow, make sure you check out episode 75 of CoRecursive. April Fool's is Cancelled, about the banning of April Fool's jokes on Hacker News. Also, thanks to another Ben, Ben Popper, who also works at Stack Overflow, who set up this interview Ben Popper, among other things, runs the Stack Overflow podcast. The tradition that started back with Joel and Jeff and with Ben listening in Berlin is is still going. It still continues on and it's still pretty great. I've been a guest on there before, so you should check it out. And until next time, thank you so much for listening.